0: on this episode of Oklahoma Senate on Deck. It was deadline week in the Oklahoma Senate this past week. Senator Treat walks us through that process and explains a little about the last push to get Senate bills out of committee and onto the floor. And the Oklahoma Senate marked the 100th anniversary of women earning the right to vote. Senator Treat tells us a little bit about that special occasion. Now let's go to the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Oklahoma Senate on Deck with Senator Greg Treat. How you doing, Senator?
1: Doing excellent. Feels like we're in the middle of May and we're just we're still in February. So. It's
0: only week four. Uh, I'm Aaron Cooper with Oklahoma Senate Republican Communications. This is the podcast of Senator Greg Tree and the Oklahoma Senate Republicans. And so, week four in the Oklahoma Senate was an, a, a busy week, a uh, couple of days with long hours, and that was because it was the committee deadline week. So, explain a little bit to us the committee deadline week for in the Senate what that meant.
1: Yeah, the first four weeks are Senate bills that were filed in the Senate have to get it out of the Senate committee. And so we're, we're entering the next phase next week where we have to get the Senate bills off the Senate floor by the next deadline. Right. But we we had uh, a lot of work. I think we've passed 46 bills off the floor already. So we're not prohibited from having bills on the floor yet. Right. But the majority of the work's been in committees so far. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of long hours and not just with committee work. We're also having ongoing negotiations on various things, including health care, so right. just really, really long couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, and each committee typically uh, meets one day a week, and earlier on in the session, uh, they haven't had time to, to put a lot of bills on the agenda, and that's why as we get closer to the deadline week, you see, like this week, the Appropriations Committee had 60-some-odd bills on their agenda to get through. And a lot
1: of those were what we call doubly assigned bills, right. so they were assigned to a policy committee, but they also cost
0: money. Uh, fiscal impact, so then the Appropriations Committee takes a look at it and, and approves or disapproves the bill.
1: So. Yeah, and, and uh, according to our numbers right now, 421 bills came out of Senate Committee so far in this process, and like I said, we've already passed 46 off the floor, so pared down our work from the, you know, original thousand some odd that are right, filed, right? Uh, and, and it just keeps winnowing down.
0: Right, and so like you said, the next uh, focus would be, I guess it's maybe twofold. Number one, the bills that Senate bills that pass out of committee are eligible to be heard on the Senate floor. And if they are uh, passed there, they can go to the House. And then we've received, we've started receiving bills from the House for our Senate committees to consider as well. And a lot of times they're, they're two bills on the same topic. So they're kind of companion bills uh, going through the process both ways, just as an insurance policy, so to speak, to make sure that policy makes it all the way to the finish line.
1: Yeah, there's that. And then we also have executive noms rolling in. I think we have 70-plus nominations right. that the governor has made that the Senate uh, will either confirm or deny that appointment. And so we've we've got a lot of work cut out of, for us for the next few weeks again.
0: And on the executive noms, uh, we've talked a little bit about it here on the podcast, but it's, it's a big deal here in the Senate. These are uh, men and women who are have been selected by the governor to uh, head agencies sit on boards, make some important decisions, so it's it's a really big deal here in the Senate to, to consider.
1: It's a huge deal. You know, looking, uh, recently we had one on the head of DPS, a guy named John Scully, who right. the governor appointed. That's an extremely important position that, that needs to be vetted. He's awesome. I've known him for a while. Right. Uh, but we need to make sure that these, are, are, these people are qualified for the jobs they have, and governor's made some really good appointments, uh, and we, we're, we're vetting those right now.
0: Yeah, and some of the different the new processes here in the Senate we're making sure that nominees meet with the members of the committee who are considering their nominations and just get a chance for the senators to get to know the nominees, ask some questions, get get a feel for the nominee and whether they'd be a good fit at that agency they've been selected for. You know,
1: when I tell people that they're like why haven't you been doing that the whole time and so let me explain a little bit about that. Thus far since I got in the Senate most of the appointments that we've been confirming have been people who are on boards or commissions right. that oversee a hire and fire a director. Right. But when we made the move last year to modernize the way uh, the executive branch runs and allow the governor to hire and fire these positions, it became even more important to make sure that the vetting was as thorough as possible because now we're not just talking about board members who have a one vote out of nine right. of who the next director. We're talking about the director. Right. Uh, And so it's extremely important that our committee members, many times, myself, uh, every nominee that the governor ever nominated from Senate District 47, which is the Senate district I represent northwest Oklahoma City, southwest Edmond, parts of Bethany, um, since I've been here, I I won't carry a nomination that I have not met with and, and vetted. But I think it's incumbent upon the whole committee and the whole Senate to vet these people. And we've just put in... Uh, Processes that require that to happen because it's we've given a lot of power and authority to the governor to hire these people. We need to make sure we hold them accountable.
0: I'm sure you get this question a lot from the public or media or your colleagues across the aisle, but you think it's a good idea still to have the executive branch, the governor, with the ability to hire and fire the heads of those agencies?
1: Yeah, we need to hold a person accountable, right? Uh, And so we can hold the governor accountable. Oklahomans can hold the governor accountable if there's someone running an agency that runs a up. And, that and would, the, the governor can hold that person accountable. right? And they're now on the line for yeah. that. So I still very much believe in that, that system of accountability.
0: Right. It wasn't always the case, uh, and that was the frustrating thing, was that people demanded, the people, the voters demanded a change or would elect a governor on a platform of change or whatever issue it was, not knowing that a board of... 9, 10, 11, 12 people hired and fired the head of that agency, not uh, the governor. And yeah, oftentimes. Now, DHS,
1: change. Department of Human Services, that interacts with a lot of Oklahomans. Mm-hmm. Now, we did this well before Governor Stick got in office, but we changed that. Representative Jason Nelson and I put a ballot initiative or a legislative referendum to the people to do away with that commission. Right. What was happening there is you had people who had terms. I think there were seven-year term. Nine people with seven-year terms. Right. And so by the time a governor maybe got to the very end of their second term, they could finally have some control over that board. Right. And we were having kids die in foster care. Right. We were having abuse and neglect when they were in state custody. It was unacceptable. Right. And so the voters overwhelmingly agreed with us and changed that structure and brought a lot more counted accountability to Department of Human Services. And that really was the impetus for a lot of the movement we saw last year. It just took a right. few years to, yeah.
0: to take place. Right. And uh, accountability is uh, leads me into the next topic I wanted to cover with you, and that's because you passed a bill out committee that deals with accountability and transparency in federal grants that uh, agencies, boards, and commissions apply for. And so walk us through a little bit of, of why you introduced that bill, and, and we'll talk then about how it helps solve that problem.
1: Yeah. About four years ago, I introduced a very similar bill <laughs> and, and got it all the way to the governor's desk, and, and the previous governor vetoed it. Right. Uh, and then, so we went back to the drawing board and, and passed a much watered down, ver- a much more watered down version. But what happens a lot of times, state agencies will go out and seek a federal grant or a private grant for some pr- to create some program.
0: Right, and sometimes it's within the scope of their mission. Sometimes it's not within the scope of the mission, core mission of that agency. Right. Oftentimes, it's not in the scope.
1: Yeah. And so what happens is, it's normally a Five-year period, sure. you know, some As finite amount of right. – Yeah. And then then the state has to pick that up. Right. Well, the, the policymakers and the governor had zero say in creating that program. It right. was created from the agency. Right. It may be well-meaning. It may be actually a great program. Right. But we didn't make a decision, could we afford it or was it part of that mission? Right. And then five years rolls around, mm-hmm. the federal grant goes away or the private grant goes away. And then letters get sent by that agency to the constituency that's been built up and become dependent on that program. Right. says, hey, the legislature, if they don't fund this, we're not going to serve you anymore. Right. And so what this does is it actually codifies an executive order that Governor Stitt made earlier, uh, well, actually last year, that requires approval from the cabinet secretary level of any of these grants over a certain threshold.
0: Right. That's Senate Bill 1840. And... Uh, that's a great way to introduce more accountability and transparency. And I believe also uh, one of our favorite topics around here, LOFT. Uh, when we were discussing LOFT a few years ago, we heard about this concept, and I believe it was the state of Indiana had a similar yeah. – they had an entire office of – well, an office of one person Yeah. Um, who who was in charge of – Office kind of of
1: State-Based Initiatives, I believe. It was yeah, OSBI, it was, which
0: I remember. is entirely something different here in Oklahoma. Yeah.
1: I, I thought their investigators were coming <laughs> to our caucus, but yeah. Uh, it, it was a great idea, though, and, and Vice President Pence got it started right. uh, when he was governor of Indiana. And so we're we're trying to model some stuff over best practices we've seen from other states, and hopefully we can become a model for other states to adopt.
0: Right, because as the legislature writes the budget, we have to take all these things into account, and this, these things can be a surprise uh, when the constituency comes up and says our program is going to go away, and then you have to figure out how to fit that into the budget priorities uh-huh. You know, when I was
1: uh, vice chair of appropriations and when I was – even before that, when I was vice chair of the Health and Human Services Subcommittee on Appropriations, I asked every agency head that came in, now, I see these grants. Absent the federal money coming in, would you be doing this, or are we chasing mm-hmm. our tails on this? What did they, they, they
0: tell you? you?
1: Varied. Obviously, uh, some of them were like, oh, absolutely <laughs> we would. Uh, but there were a few that were brave enough to admit that they were just chasing the money. right. And chasing the money sometimes will take you off mission big time. It's like trying to walk down a trail to a destination and you get distracted by every shiny object. It takes you way off from where you're originally headed. Right. And, and we need to make sure that shiny objects don't get the attention, but the core mission gets the attention, and we're always trying to improve.
0: Right. That makes total sense. Uh, and I think uh, w- another issue I wanted to talk on, uh, to touch on, was uh, this week. The uh, Board
1: of Equalization, BOE. BOE. Right? Yeah. Yes.
0: Check back to episode 40 if you want to <laughs> get the inside joke there. Yeah. Um, no, this week, as we record this, it's Thursday, the end of the legislative week, uh, and we had a, an important commemoration on the floor of the Senate, and that was a resolution sponsored by uh, you and Senator da- uh, Kim David, the majority floor leader, and Senator uh, Kay Floyd, the Democratic minority leader, uh, uh, in honor of uh, the 19th Amendment women's suffrage, and that was uh, the 100th anniversary of that. So it was a really great moment. We even had a, a cool moment in the Senate where the presiding officer uh, was a female, Senator Julie Daniels. Our acting secretary of the Senate was Arnella Cargus, the uh, chief operating officer, and then Senator David and Senator Floyd. So it was a really unique moment a cool thing here in the Senate.
1: Oh, it was awesome. Uh, it was a really kind of an emotional right. time, a uh, huge historic moment for us. And Just a good celebration, remembering that it wasn't, I mean, 100 years in the whole scheme of human history isn't that long ago that uh, females first got an opportunity to vote. Now, Oklahoma was ahead of the curve. That's right. uh, You you learn if you watch the resolution. We were two two years ahead of the 19th Amendment in granting uh, women uh, the right to vote. Uh, That When we did, it was long overdue, but we were ahead of the curve as far as the United States goes.
0: Well, and Senator Flo- uh, Senator Davis, excuse me, had a, a great quote, um, and that is to think about her grandmothers weren't able to vote when they were in Oklahoma, and then here she is as the majority floor leader of the Oklahoma Senate. It took 100 years, which, like you said, is long overdue, but it's a, it's a great accomplishment to think about that and celebrate it here in the Senate.
1: No, it's a huge deal. And, you know, the Oklahoma State Senate right now, we have a chief of staff that is uh, female uh, chief operating officer, the female, the first majority floor leader in state history right. uh, that's female, and the Democrat leader who's female. But let me make an important point. They didn't get those jobs because they're females. Right. They got those jobs because they're the most qualified person right. Right. Uh, to do it. And they're doing an awesome job. It's a time to reflect and realize uh, that we need to continually progress uh, and make sure that people are treated well and fairly and equally in our society. And to think a hundred years ago, uh, that's thats not all that long ago.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, it was emotional, and but in the, um, it was a good celebration all around. So it was great to mark that here in the Senate. Uh, we've got more information at OKSenate.gov. We've got some, some pictures on our social media accounts, and so I encourage everyone to go check that out. Um, before we wrap up, what's, uh, what's on your radar coming up in the next couple of weeks? What should the public be looking for uh, in the Oklahoma Senate the next couple of weeks?
1: Leadership, uh, <laughs> uh,
0: they, they should be looking for uh, some more
1: discussions on healthcare. That's obviously a huge topic right. of, of what do we do there. Uh, sh- criminal justice reform is still moving down the pipeline. There's some concerns about some property theft and mm-hmm. some other areas that we're, we're having ongoing discussions on. Obviously the budget talks will start heating up. Right, right. And so we've invested a, an additional $630 million on top of what we were already doing the last two years in common education. Uh, with a flatline budget, actually about eighty-five million dollars down budget, we got to make sure we protect those investments there. Talk on pensions and, and a yeah. cost of living adjustment right. uh, will be right around the corner. There's a plethora of other issues, but but don't have time to go into all of those. But those are the I think the highlights of what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks.
0: Well, those are that's another reason why you should to uh, tune in to every episode of Okay Senate on Deck because we talk about all those important issues and what's going on in the Senate, and so. With that, unless you have anything else to add, I think we'll uh, we'll sign off to the folks at home.
1: I don't believe I have anything else. <laughs> uh, uh, I,
0: I want to always give you the opportunity to have one last oh, word. Uh, senators usually like to have the opportunity to have one last word. I'm pretty plain spoken. I, I got my <laughs> words out already. I'm good to go. Well, as usual, you can uh, email us okay, uh, on deck at oksenate.gov. That's on deck at oksenate.gov. Of course, you can leave comments. If you're watching this on Facebook or Twitter or on YouTube, on you, the Facebooks, on the Facebooks, yeah. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcasting uh, platform, uh, send us an email. We would love to hear from you and want to know uh, what it, int- issues you have, questions about, what interests you, and what uh, you would like us to uh, talk about a little bit more. A lot of these things are are complicated, and even though we've been here talking for ten to twelve minutes, some of these things would take a long time to get into. But that's what uh, Senator Tree and I are here to do is to help. Uh, help you uh, listeners at home understand a little bit more about what's happening in the Senate. So with that, we'll say uh, goodbye. Until next time, be sure to check us out, like, share, subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you next time on Oklahoma Senate On Deck.